Hello, this is the Atlanta Storytellers Podcast. My name is John Carr. There are so many great literary shows, poetry shows, and storytelling shows here in Atlanta. So many amazing artists producing incredible work that lives and sometimes dies at these performances. This podcast is designed to capture that work and share it with the rest of the world. And so, here are some of those stories. This is Nicholas Tokoski. I'm the host of Right Club Atlanta. And uh, this is a piece that I wrote in 2007 as a short play, a short, short play, um, and then ripped apart and rewrote years later as a Right Club piece. Um, yeah. I call it Lord of the Oregon Trail. Mrs. Langella entered the computer lab at the end of fourth period to find a horror that would haunt her to the end of her days. There, in the center of the room, stood young Ian, a boy of ten in suspenders and a dust-covered careworn hat, broken amidst the bodies of his friends. Ian, she whispered, barely audible. What? What happened here? He looked to her, through her, with glassy eyes, eyes that had lost any trace of emotion. After a long moment, he began his story in a slow, even drawl. I don't... I didn't know to leave earlier. When they asked, they asked when I was to leave, and I said June. June's my birthday, you see. I thought maybe I'd wait and there'd be a party and then we would depart. They told me to go earlier in April, that we could have a small celebration along the way, but I wouldn't have any of it. I went to the smith, to the general store, to the livery. I loaded up on oxen, bullets, food. I never gave a thought to extra wheels. Never considered that our lives might hinge on the fate of a single axle so far from home. <laughs> Funny now, looking back. Funny looking back and seeing my pride overtaking logic. Heather said, don't we need spare parts in case something were to break down along the way? And do you know my response? I laughed at her. I laughed in her face and I'm ashamed to say now that when I saw the hurt in her eyes, I felt like a man. So much like a man. I wish now I could go back and... But we can't, Mrs. Langella, can we? Go back to the beginning. This isn't just a game that you can reset. To go back, to touch your shoulder and apologize, to say you are a valuable member of this party. You know what's right as well as I do. But she fell by the wayside, victim of a rattlesnake, and Nicholas of dysentery and Mary Charlotte. My heart, my passion, my reason for taking this cursed journey in the first place to give her a better life. Something we couldn't have done back east. The river. Again, I'd been warned. It's too deep. We'll never ford it. Wait, just wait for the ferry. Oh, Mary Charlotte, I could stand losing the food and the oxen, but you. Everywhere I looked in the wild and the shadows, I saw wild beasts poised to attack. Highwaymen with knives and guns waiting to rob us and murder us. A landscape waiting to destroy us and absorb our remains. 
I was convinced that there were monsters in the hills. But the monsters were in me. I was my own worst enemy, and I made my loved ones pay the price for my hubris. All because I had to be right. Ian closed his eyes. A sort of peace flickered for a moment over his worn face. I deserve this end, he said to no one. Alone in the prairie. A broken axle. The November wind blowing through these beggars' rags. I, I deserve this. And hope that someone will one day come upon my grave and maybe, for a moment, feel pity for this too proud man. If I'd have known before what I know now, I never would have made this journey. I never would have. Mrs. Langella stepped toward the boy. Ian, she said, you never left. You're still here in the computer lab. He didn't hear her. He shook his head. It was all for naught. The American dream was a lie. I told myself to sleep at night, and I beat on blindly, damning the consequences. But in that blindness, you lose and you lose and you die alone. Everything lost. He looked once more to her. Mrs. Langella, tell them. Tell the other children not to do what I have done. And with that final thought, he lay down on the floor, the last cold light of November leaving the window of the computer lab at Pine Ridge Elementary School. It was at that moment, as the day passed into night, that Mrs. Langella looked to the corner where young Johnny sat shivering in front of a screen. His body slowly rocked back and forth in the blue glow of the monitor. Johnny, she whispered. You too, Johnny? They said I'd never catch her, Johnny replied. The chief said she's stolen the pyramids, John. Nobody knows how, but she's done it again. And I set out on my own to find her. But she's the devil, Langella. I came close and I saw it in her eyes. I almost had her. After the years of obsession, foregoing a good life, so many wasted years, God, she just vanished. I grasped her, and she just vanished, and now, now their voices taunt me in my dreams. Where is she, Johnny? They ask me. Where in the world? Hi. My name is Maddie Fay. I first did this piece for a, no, I first did this piece for the Fringe Festival with the KSU Tellers, and I also did it for a Story Sisters show. Um, cool. So I was 15 years old and I was staying with my friend. We'll call her Molly after her favorite pastime. I loved staying with Molly because her mom was really cool. She let us do whatever we wanted to, which at 15 was mostly like, drugs and each other. We had a lot of friends over and it, uh, Molly's mom never seemed to mind. And one day we were hanging out in Molly's front yard. We'd been hanging out earlier with some dudes from Georgia Tech and they'd given us this like whole bag full of acid gummies. So we were having a pretty good time out there on the lawn. And then a man walks up, which wasn't uncommon. It was a pretty busy area. There were a lot of people always walking by, except that this man in the middle of a Georgia summer, was wearing multiple tattered coats and a big, tall wizard hat. 
And he pulls a triangle out of his pocket and he dings it and he says, I'm a wizard and I'm intrigued. And he's like, I can teach you guys how to levitate. And at this point, we're all on board, me and Molly and our friends. Um, And he says, okay, but I need you to invite me inside, which makes sense. You know, if I was a wizard, okay, if I was a wizard, I would not want to float people out in public in front of everyone. It makes total sense, totally reasonable request. So we invited him into the house, as anyone would do. And he brought us inside and he sat us in a circle and had us touch our knees to each other. And he had us close our eyes and he dinged the triangle again. And it was like, ding. And he hummed and he was like, hum. And he was like, okay. Now imagine your body is filling up with helium. It's getting lighter and lighter until you're lifting off the floor and you can't feel the carpet underneath your legs anymore. And then you're floating up into the center of the room. And then the ceiling is lifting away. You're floating over valleys and rivers and mountains. And it was, it was amazing. It was the craziest thing I've ever experienced. I swear, I could not feel the carpet under me. I felt the wind in my face. I smelled the air. I was levitating, I was pretty sure. Um, And this went on for a while until we noticed it got silent, so we opened our eyes and the wizard had vanished! Along with three backpacks, four wallets, and somebody's laptop. And you can take from this tale what you will, but we never referred to this as the time we got robbed. It was always and forever the day we fucking levitated. My name is Charles Parrott. This is a story called The Marietta Chainsaw Massacre that I performed at a show called Then What? I will be the first person to tell you that I am the last person who should be running a chainsaw. But I shit you not, I woke up one morning and I was 39 years old and I was a homeowner and I was a father and I was a husband and a storm had knocked down tree limbs in my yard and so it falls to me to somehow dispose of them. And I know... Some other men. Men we would all trust with a chainsaw. I could have called them. But my pride wouldn't let me. See, sometime before my daughter was born, I was trying to put something together, a crib, something like that, and I could not get it. I was stuck and I was frustrated. This would be the time when I was a kid that I would ask my dad for help and he'd get all grumpy with me and he'd fix it. But that day, stuck and frustrated, my grumpy dad was thousands of miles away, and I realized, I am the dad. I have to fix this. There is no one else. It is a cold, gray winter day in late December when I put on my old work clothes and I make the trek to Home Depot to rent the chainsaw. The kid at Home Depot is at least half my age, and he shows me how to operate the chainsaw without a hint of condescension. There is a choke. There is a fuel primer and a pull start and the two-cycle engine fuel. And I'm familiar with all this in principle because I grew up on a farm where I had to handle this kind of equipment with some regularity. But I'm also nervous because I grew up on a farm where I had to handle this kind of equipment with some regularity. And it haunts me. Those memories never seem to go away because that stuff never works right. Like half the time it won't start. 
Would we accept this inconsistency from any other product? No. But with machinery, with tools, it is, as my dad was fond of pointing out, usually a user problem. So someone builds a machine that doesn't start half the time, but it's my fault that I can't start it. Got it. K. Thanks, jerks. I get the thing home and my heart is already beating a little fast. I pump the fuel primer. Did the kid at the store say to put it on the ground to pull start it? That makes sense. I put it down and I pull and I pull and the front seems to pop up whenever I pull it too hard, which is bad because if the front pops up when it actually starts, then it's going to, you know, cut my face off. I pull, and I pull, and I pull, and I pull, and I don't really understand what it means when an engine is flooded, but I'm pretty sure it's flooded. So I go inside to get a drink of water and to tell my wife that I have to go back to Home Depot to get the kid to show me how to start it again. And this kind of thing always drives me straight up the goddamn wall. Like, I'm a professional. I have a PhD. I'm published. None of that matters, because I can't start the chainsaw. How will I actually live a human life? How will I be a physical entity in the world if I can't start the chainsaw? Do I actually have any worth? I mean, you know, as a person, is existence itself devoid of meaning? Are we just, you know, puppets dancing on little threads, shoveling hot garbage into our bodies and then crapping it back out again like little repeating gifts until the simulation ends and some faceless IT god turns the world off and turns it back on again if I can't start the chainsaw? And I am 13 years old, and I am back on the farm, and my dad is pissed at me because I can't start the chainsaw. When I come to, I see my wife, who is a therapist, staring at me like my face just came apart like Beetlejuice. And I apologize for having a full-blown meltdown and pouring it out on her unsuspecting lap. On the way back to Home Depot, I shame eat some McDonald's. The kid gets it started and runs it for a few minutes so it's hot when I get it home and I'm done cutting up the limbs in less than 30 minutes. And I post on Facebook, I will be the first person to tell you that I am the last person who should be running a chainsaw. About a week later, my phone rings and it's my dad, which is odd and usually means he wants something. And I pick it up and he says, yeah, you call me? And I say, no. And he says, well, my phone says you called me. And I say, I guess I must have butt dialed you. And he says, well, how you doing? And I say, oh, I'm fine. We're good. We're good. And my dad, who sometimes, sometimes I forget he is on Facebook. He says, yeah, how'd your uh, chainsaw go? And I could have lied and said it was fine. But I'm basically physically incapable of lying to anyone, let alone my dad, who spent two decades drilling into me that I should never do that. So I tell him the whole story, and at the end he says, yeah, I can never get that stuff to start either. There are so many shows with pieces just like the ones you've heard being produced all over Atlanta. Take some time, go see a show, and experience one of these pieces live.